first time I saw Babe Ruth was in the spring of 1919 at Tampa, Florida. I'd been uh, with our troops in France the previous year, so Ruth was news to me. Babe blasted a batting practice pitch clear out of the park into a plowed field. I gauged that hit as about 500 feet. While Ruth hit, I watched, and Ed Barrow, the Red Sox manager, talked. Ruth was our main holdout, said Barrow. He's been signed to a three-year contract. At 24, this fellow can become the greatest single thing that's happened to baseball. Babe, I said, I was watching your swing. You swing like no pitcher I ever saw. With my swing, it's all or nothing at all, replied Babe. I copied it after Joe Jackson's. His is the perfectest. Of all the sluggers spawned by the advent of the lively ball, Babe remains the only one I ever knew who never shortened or choked his grip when the count reached two strikes. He gripped his bat at the very end with the knob of the handle palmed in his right hand. Babe liked plenty of lumber in his war clubs. Many of his bats weighed 42 ounces. That's about a half pound more than the average. That spring, the Red Sox and McGraw's Giants played an exhibition series. I hung around for several games to watch Ruth, being converted from a pitcher to an outfielder, slug and play left field. In the first game, he hit the loftiest shot I ever saw, some six miles over the right field fence. Bill McGeehan, then sports editor of the New York Tribune, who didn't impress easily, wrote, The ball sailed so high that when it came down, it was coated with ice. In 44 seasons from 1921 to 1964, the New York Yankees won the World Series 20 times. The dynasty began with Babe Ruth's sale from the Boston Red Sox after the 1919 season. Ruth learned his craft at an orphanage in Baltimore, making the Red Sox as a teenager in 1914. He quickly established himself as the best left-handed pitcher in the American League, but he could hit a ball further than anyone had ever seen. Over the next few seasons, the Red Sox slowly converted him into an outfielder. In 1919, he broke the Major League record hitting 29 home runs. The Red Sox drew 417,000 fans to Fenway Park, but they finished in sixth place. After that season, Red Sox owner Harry Frazee sold Ruth to the Yankees. The Red Sox had won five of the first 15 world championships. They wouldn't win another for 86 years. The 1919 Yankees were competitive they finished seven games out of first place and drew 619,000 fans to the polo grounds. But the stadium's main tenant was the New York Giants. The Giants drew 708,000 fans. Neither team won the pennant. The National League was represented by the Cincinnati Reds, while the American League champions were the Chicago White Sox. The White Sox lost the series five games to three under suspicious circumstances, and eight men including shoeless Joe Jackson, were barred for life for throwing the games. Baseball needed a hero, and Babe Ruth, now in the nation's biggest city, was that man. In 1920, his first year with the Yankees, the team drew 1.2 million fans. The Giants drew 929,000 fans. Giants manager John McGraw wasn't happy with Ruth's popularity. McGraw was a savage competitor who'd been involved in baseball since the late 19th century. Grantland Rice's show once dramatized a story about McGraw. Thanks. 
Three for this team, but four if you count the practice game. Yeah, that's right. Four altogether. Hey, you, kid. Who, me? Yeah. Come over here. I want to talk to you. What do you want, mister? That was a nice game you pitched, kid. Not bad. Oh, you think you're good, huh? Why should I run myself down? What's your name? John McGraw. Live here in Truxton? Yeah, I do. McGraw, I'm Steve Bogan. I manage the East Homer Club. Oh. Kid... How would you like to pitch for us next Sunday? What's in it? What's in it? I thought you'd just like to play ball. I do, but you charge admissions, don't you? Yeah, but you're just a kid. I'm giving you an opportunity. We got one of the classiest little clubs in New York State, you know. Well, it seems like you made a special trip over here to Truxton just to see me. Why? (laughs) All right, kid, you win. You come over and pitch for us, and I'll give you a dollar. How's that? I'll pitch for two dollars. Two dollars? Hey, who do you think you are? John McGraw. Meanwhile in Brooklyn, the Robins drew 613,000 people to Ebbets Field in Flatbush. New York was the capital of baseball. The Giants and Yankees would meet in three straight World Series, and the Yankees would open up Yankee Stadium in the Bronx in 1923. But perhaps for Ruth, his most embarrassing and at the same time his most hilarious moment occurred on the evening we dined on the outskirts at St. Petersburg during spring training. It was quite a dinner. Among the guests I had invited were the Walter Lippmans. The dinner was a huge success until the dignified Mrs. Lippman asked Ruth to describe the famous home run he called in the 32 series against the Cubs. It's like this, boom, babe. Bigger than a freshly laundered barn in white gabardine and puffing on a huge cigar. I'm riding the stuffing out of the Cubs, telling them they're the cheapest pack of crumb bums for what they did to our guy, little Mark Koenig, an ex-Yankee who shortstopped them down the home stretch, and then was cut in for a measly half share of the series swag. Well, I pack one into the stands in the first inning, but in the fifth, it's tied four to four when I'm up with nobody on base. The Chicago fans are giving me the works. Charlie Root, the Cubs pitcher, breezes those first two pitches by. Both strikes. The mob's tearing down Wrigley Field. I shake my fist after that first strike. I know it was good. And after the second, it was in there too. I wave my bat at those bellering bleachers right where I aim to park the ball. Root throws it, and I hit that blankety-blank ball on the nose right over the fence. How do you like those apples, you so-and-sos? I yell at Ruth as I start around the bases. By the time I reach home, I'm almost falling down. I'm laughing so hard. And that's how it happened. The babe's erudite explanation finished. A battered Mrs. Lippman mumbled that they'd have to be leaving. Why did you use that language, I asked babe. What the heck, Grant, he snorted. You heard her ask me what happened, so I told her. Throughout the course of his legendary career... Babe Ruth hit 342 with 714 home runs, a lifetime on base percentage of 474, and a lifetime slugging percentage of 690. Bill Stern interviewed the Babe for his March 22, 1946 Colgate Sports Newsreel. And now, Bill Stern with his special guest, Babe Ruth. Real five. Colgate's camera close up of Babe Ruth. 
Here is the most famous baseball player of all time, the one and only Babe Ruth. Uh, Bill, may I ask some questions, please? On what, Babe? On the story you just told. Well, go right ahead. Uh, let's take the first story, the one about Harry Oaks and me. Okay. Are you sure that it was Harry Oaks who left that baseball bat for me at the orphan asylum? Well, babe, I wasn't there. I can only say that that was the story as told to me. And how about being thrown off the train in Canada and finding a gold mine on the spot where he was thrown off? Well, babe, that story came from his own wife. All right, let's go on to the second story. Fire away, babe. Did Stanley Ketchell really give Ernie Ball the money that got Ernie Ball to New York? Well, now, there are two versions of that, babe. One version is that he was given the money by Ketchell... And the other version is he used the money he got from fighting Ketchell to get to New York. But either way, it's amazing that a prize fighter should be responsible for the success of a tender song. Yes, you're right, babe. It is amazing. Now, if you don't mind, let me switch this around and ask you some questions. Who's going to win the American League pennant? Why, the New York Yanks. Oh, babe, you might be prejudiced, but let's ask you who's going to win the National League pennant. I think the St. Louis Cardinals. Well, babe, tell me this. What do you think of this new Mexican baseball league? Why, it's mainly a lot of hot air. <laughs> Who's the greatest ball player playing baseball today? Well, I think Ted Williams and Joe DiMaggio. Who would you say was, what was the greatest baseball team of all time? I would say the Yanks of 1927, because on that team was Bob Musil, Tony Desari, Earl Coombs, Herb Pennock, and many others, and a good manager named Miller Huggins. And there was another player on that team by the name of Lou Gehry. Well, I, I hope he is never forgotten. Any conversation about Ruth's Yankees always included teammate Lou Gehrig, who was diagnosed with amyotrophic lateral sclerosis in 1939 and forced to retire. For the past two weeks, You've been reading about a bad brag. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. When you look around, wouldn't you consider it privilege? To associate yourself with such a fine-looking man as is standing in uniform in this ballpark today. That I might have been given a bad break, but I've got an awful lot to live for. Thank you. Garrick's farewell speech was broadcast on Independence Day 1939. His disease is now also known by his name. Lou Garrick passed away on June 2nd, 1941. He was 37 years old. Thanks so much. Good luck and good night, Babe Ruth. And that's the 3-0 mark for tonight. Next Friday night, we'll be back same time, same stations with another edition of the Colgate Shave Cream Sports Newsreel. Our guest next Friday evening from Hollywood will be the lovely movie star, Miss Benita Granville. So be sure and be with us next Friday night at our usual time when we present as our guest the famous screen star, Benita Granville. See you then. And until then, 
I'll be seeing you on the screen in the News of the Day newsreel at your favorite Lowe's or Associated Theaters. Now until this same time next Friday night when we greet you with our special guest, Benita Granville, this is Bill Stern for Colgate Shave Cream wishing you all a good, good night. Thank you.